Your Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Golden Knights, former Golden Knight Max Pacioretty says that there is a lack of accountability here in Las Vegas. Hi again, everyone. Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick. We are from Las Vegas right here. Thanks for making us your first listen and first viewing habit each and every day. You could find us at Lockdown VGK, uh, both on Twitter and now on YouTube. Thanks to Chris. I'm at Chris Golick, at TD Chris G on Twitter. I'm at Tony Dasco on Twitter. And uh, Chris, let's get into it, man. Appearing on the Raw Knuckles podcast, Max Pacioretty, who was recently traded to Carolina, had some things to say about the Golden Knights organization, about its fans and even the media. Pacioretty said that when he first got to Las Vegas, he said that he couldn't feel pressure coming from the coach, coming from the management. He said that if he had an awful game, fans, teammates, what have you, everyone would still say hi to him. And uh, I wanted to get into this. Uh, He said he didn't know the media. He didn't know who they were. He said he didn't know where to go, what they might say about him. I feel that the media here in Vegas is sort of like the PR arm of the VGK anyway. But, you know, all these stories that I heard about Pacioretty and his seriousness, they're all coming to light. I think I told you before uh, that I had heard from inside of the uh, the locker room that Pacioretty came in, was a no-nonsense guy, and here you had the Marcia Sos, the Ryan Reeves. You had Marc-Andre Fleury. They're playing pranks. They weren't as serious, and he felt that things were sort of run amok right here in Vegas. So what were your thoughts, your initial impressions of the podcast, of the Raw Knuckles podcast, and some thoughts about Max Pacioretty and the lack of accountability that he says was happening here in Vegas. So the the, the interview was fun. It was interesting. Um, folks, if any of you do go out there and find this, I would recommend not listening to it with your children around. Um, one of the hosts loves using the F-bomb, and they make it a point to emphasize whenever they use the F-bomb. I don't understand why that the need for that, but that's just me. Um, so just a little FYI in case you do listen to that, folks. But otherwise, it, it's a good podcast. I thought Pacioretty was very human. I didn't feel like he was, it didn't come across as rehearsed. It was just a good conversation piece that really helped you to get in the head of what Pacioretty is thinking at times from situations when he's going from team to team and contracts and whether he's going to stay, whether he's going to go. I thought he gave a great uh, perspective about his uh, just absolutely devastating hit from a uh, Chara going back in what the early 2000s now, 2008, 2006, 12, whatever that happened, whatever it was. Um, but little known fact to some. So when Patch already took that hit from Chara, the glass was actually straight at the time. And he mentioned the turnbuckle. That, that's what they're calling. It's similar to like a turnbuckle in um, a WWF or WWE, whatever they call it now. Right, right, right. Now that glass is actually curved. And the reason it's curved is because of that hit. So they actually call that the Pacioretty glass now, which I found uh, 
found interesting, but I liked it. My initial reactions were concern about his comments about the coaching staff. And this is where there's a little bit of conflict, right? Because Pacioretty was in DeBoer's corner. It was very clear in many different interviews that he was a DeBoer supporter and thought DeBoer helped elevate his game. But now coming out and saying he didn't feel there was a lack of accountability after a bad game and people still saying hi and stuff like that. You know, like I think the I think the quote was when he walks into practice, you know, you normally got your head down and stuff like that. And, you know, I know everyone like next day is, hey, cool, laid back and stuff like that. So I didn't necessarily mind the culture side of that. But the most concerning thing I heard was that the coaches, at least my interpretation, a better way to say that, of course, my interpretation was the coaching staff in Pacioretty's time here did not put a lot of pressure on the players to perform. Yeah, he said in his words, uh, they were not held or kept to a higher standard. And uh, Pacioretty, I thought uh, it was interesting. I saw some fans on Twitter say, you know, are we going to boo Pacioretty when he comes back to Las Vegas? No, no, that would be stupid because he didn't say anything and he didn't call out any players in particular. He just said that the culture here was one of a lack of accountability. And we're seeing all those cracks, right, Chris? As we progress here going into the sixth season with VGK, those cracks are more evident, I think, than ever before heading into this uh, this new season. Uh, we've never seen a lot of this uh, this organization being exposed, if you will, like we have in recent months. Yeah, and that's very, very, very fair. And, you know, when things aren't going well, you would think that the coach would be, and I'm not saying the coach is going to be up there going all, you know, all John Tortorella on you and just yelling in your ear constantly and stuff like that. But you would think that at least behind the scenes when the cameras aren't there, that there is some pressure. And that doesn't mean yelling and screaming, but it just simply means whatever motivational tactic, um, uh, was he here with Gallant? I think he was here with, in the end of Gallant, yeah, right? Of okay, Gallant. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I do feel like Gallant maybe was a little bit of a different type of coach than DeBoer. I think Gallant probably did hold the players to a bit of a higher standard, or when things weren't going well, I think Gallant would what would let them know, and that might be honestly part of the reason as to why Gallant wasn't here, amongst a whole host of other things, unfortunately. DeBoer, and this is something we've talked about, right? I never looked at DeBoer as the type to, you never saw him yelling on the bench, right? There's a couple times you saw him upset about a penalty or or a situation like that or a face-off location, whatever. Um, But he doesn't come across that fiery. I never really saw him getting on the players a whole lot. Where Gallant, one of the best things I remember about Gallant, it was actually a win for VGK, but it was a one-goal game. Goalies pulled for the other team. There's a low zone faceoff in the VGK defensive side. There's like three seconds left. It's a, you know, the game is basically over, right? Whoever they were playing, I believe it was an East Coast game. That's the best I can remember at the time. It was on the road and they gave up a prime scoring chance with three seconds left for the game to tie. And Gallant on the bench, like normally the coaches, for whatever reason, the second the game is over, win, lose, draw, overtime, you know, playoff game, whatever, the coaches beeline to the, to the locker room. They shake hands with the assistants and they're gone within 15 seconds of that buzzer going. But Gallant stood on the bench, and he was tearing him a new one right there. He was absolutely on them. And that right there is accountability. It's playing 60 minutes. It's finishing the game. 
And I'm trying to think back of a moment where I really saw DeBoer Hots on the bench. And there's a couple times. Um, I saw a couple times in some post-game pressers where he was pretty clear about, hey, let's not you know go around in circles with the same question over and over. And then someone asks the same question and he ends the presser. Okay, fine. That's but if that's what we're talking about as far as fire and uh, you know really getting on the team, maybe uh, Pacioretty's comments are validated if you take a take a short uh, look at uh, mainly uh, Pete DeBoer's time here in Vegas. Uh, maybe it's more about the players. Maybe it's more about his teammates. Maybe he did not want to call out his teammates, you know, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I could see, especially after season one, and let's just say, for instance, the misfit line. They're rock stars in this city, right? They don't have to pay for a meal in town. I mean, you know, you go in there and I think that you become full of yourself to a certain degree. I, you know, I'm listening to this, right, Chris? And all along, I am wondering what right now, because you know, Bill Foley listened to it, right? What is Bill Foley thinking about all of these comments by Max Pacioretty? A couple of other things, a couple of other things. Was this agent motivated? Uh, uh, for Max Pacioretty because Alan Walsh is his, uh, his agent and Alan Walsh and VGK have collided on a number of occasions, mostly due in part to Mark Andre Fleury. And Fleury, you know, himself had come out, uh, and defended his agent and all of that. Could it be agent motivated? And then the third piece of that. So you go from a Pete DeBoer who is like, West Coast laid back, and now you have, you bring in Bruce Cassidy. Bruce Cassidy will hold his team accountable uh, to the highest level, to the highest degree, and especially now. He's under a microscope after all of this comes out from Max Pacioretty. So Foley, you know, again, what is he making out of all of this? Does this come back again to the front office, to the mix, to McPhee, to McCrimmon? Does it come back? Does it rest on their shoulders? And then, you know, Bruce Cassidy coming in here. I am so curious to see how they change this culture, how the players are going to react now under a new system and a new sheriff here in town. I'd take notes there because we got a three-parter here. So the first one here was the players, and you mentioned uh, the rock star status and stuff like that. And I think I'm going to uh, – my neighbor Ken across the street, quick shout-out to Ken. But, um, Bring him we, in. Let's go. <laughs> we, we talk – we we've talked a lot of uh we talked a lot of hockey in the driveway over a beer and um one of the first things he's brought up um he went to one of the tree lighting um events i think at the cosmopolitan a while back and i think a uh, flurry and patch already were both there uh, i hope i'm getting this right ken if i'm wrong you're welcome to call me out here he said flurry stayed as long as needed it, you know there was a period where the players were were set to be there and then they were gone right well flurry stayed and probably signed every last autograph Pacioretty was there for a short time in and outs. And this is just a very small, small, small sample. Um, you know, it, it is easy to get an ego inflation, especially if you are part of the misfits or flurry in his time here and Ryan Reeves and all that. Everywhere you go, it's taking pictures, wanting to have a drink with you. It's asking the, the questions about being a golden knight and telling, telling these guys how much you love them and all that. So sure, it's definitely easy to fall into that culture. And I mean, why not? That's probably uh, 10% of why people go into uh, wanting to be professional athletes and rock stars and actors and all of that. Um, but Patch already definitely has that business side too. 
he definitely has that business side too. And my interactions with Patch Reddy, I met him at one of the Vegas Golden Knight Galas and it was quick in and out. We gabbed, chit-chatted for a few minutes and I didn't think anything left or right about it. It was just, you know, cool. Nice meeting you. Have a good day. You know, cheers, whatever. Um, but then I saw him a couple different times at the hockey rinks where I was refing, uh, when I was refing his kids at multiple times. He has five kids. That shocked me when I, in the interview. Oh my oh, goodness. All boys. All boys. He said. I cannot. Yeah. He plays referee. I could not. I mean, two kids, Chris and Allie, you guys drive me nuts. I can't imagine three more of you. No, no, no disrespect, kids. I love you guys. Don't listen and to this. And five show. boys, five boys, as you know, just pounding on each other. Constantly. Yeah. I feel sorry for mommy too. That's got to be crazy. Um, but back to where I'm going with this, you know, it's, it was a very business mentality. Even when he was watching his kids play, he's, you know, he's not down there by the glass trying to get his picture taken. He's up there sitting in the corner, honestly, probably just trying to be a father and not be recognized. And that's fine. Um, I think Pacioretty definitely has that business mentality and maybe didn't mesh as well. Um, you mentioned about the, I'm going to go to accountability and I'll get back to Walsh. So Stone and Martinez, I believe both cited uh, friction's not the word, but many locker room meetings, many closed door players only type meetings. Disagreements, down the right? Stretch. Yeah, disagreements. And, yeah. you know, some heated moments, I think, was one of the other things said. And, and, and even remember, though, uh, Chris, when Pacioretty said at the final presser of the season, that there were disagreements. It's like a family, like you're fighting with your brothers. Yes. And every day he said there was some friction back and forth. No doubt. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to cite right there. Thank you for uh, taking me down the path. But um, so when I hear comments like that, you know, I think I do buy even more that the coaches necessarily weren't on the accountability train as much as it was the players trying to, hold each other accountable, especially when things weren't going well. I mean, for seasons one through four, everything fell into place. Season two was terrible luck with the not a major nonsense and, you know, season five with all the injuries. But outside of that, things went pretty well. So maybe there just wasn't the need for that extra level of accountability. Things just kind of clicked. This is where I'm looking forward to Cassidy, obviously. I think Cassidy understands that the first 10 games are extremely important to how the, the season's going to go. I think it's extremely important to his personal legacy here in Las Vegas. I think the first 10 games will set that tone. If we come out of the gate, we go seven and three, eight and two, we're going to all sit back and say, go Cassidy, go. And we're going to talk about how much we love him. And it's amazing. Um, if the team is five and five out of the gate, okay, fine, whatever. Um, if we're two and eight out of the gate, three and seven out of the gate, one and nine out of the gate. Oh my God. How do we get rid of Mark Andre Fleury? We let Ryan Reeves go. We let the heart and soul go. We let patch ready. All these, all this nonsense just, uh, comes back right there. So yeah, we definitely need to see a new changing of the guard on, <clears throat> on the leader side. Um, the last point you mentioned, uh, Walsh, I mean, we, we've, you and I have texted up and back about doing, a at least a segment on Walsh and, his players and how a lot of his notable players has moved around. Um, one thing I noticed about Walsh, Walsh is very calculated in all of his tweets and all of his interactions. And just a, a quick 30 second, uh, little nonsense story here. <clears throat> when, when everything happened with flurry, give me a second. All right, there we go. When everything happened with flurry, with the bloody sword and all that nonsense, that was absolutely terrible timing. It was right around the playoffs. I remember might even even been during the first round of the playoffs when that happened, if I recall. Um, Fast forward, maybe sometime during the summer, Walsh made some tweet about distractions and stuff like that. I forgot what it was. It wasn't even geared towards VGK. It was just something about distractions. So I followed him on Twitter. I thought he was actually an interesting follow. 
So I jumped in there and said, oh, you mean when an agent tweets the picture of a bloody sword in the back of one of his uh, players he represents in a terrible, in a, in a pressured time, like that type of distraction. And it actually got some momentum. It got some interactions, got a lot. It got probably 30 or 40 likes the second I did it and people talking about it. I wasn't like, you know, F you Walsh, or I wasn't doing anything like that. Just, I, I was really, you know, just taking, I was taking my shot from afar, but I was also curious who was going to get any type of interaction. Cause it was one of, I did get one of the first responses and I go check the tweet three hours later to see what's happening. Dude blocked me. The dude blocked me. Now, keep in mind, what, three years ago, I'm nobody in, this, in the hockey community. I'm just a random person probably with 20 followers that check my Twitter account once every two weeks, and I happen to fall on that. And he's blocking people like me. And I'm nobody now, let's be clear about that. I think I'm up to, I'm up to 300 followers, a, a far, a no, far no, no, cry no, from your 10,000. You're a rock star. Okay, well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Someone buy me a, a McDonald's a sweet tea next time you see me at McDonald's. But, um, you know, the point being, if a guy like Walsh is this, like, worries about someone like me who's absolutely nobody in a not a very big hockey town, I mean, it's, yes, folks, Vegas is awesome, but we're not Montreal. We can talk about that, too, obviously. Um, but, you know, what's up with this guy? That's the short version there. And, yeah, maybe – Maybe Walsh is using Patcher ready to get some points across. And that's ultimately where I'm trying to tie all this together. It would not surprise me if there was some type of sit down, but I don't know. Patch ready doesn't come across as a puppet either. Patch ready comes across as pretty human. I think uh, if it's whether it's something in his home life or whether it's on the hockey rink or an interaction with his agent, I don't think he's afraid to be, you know, very clear and honest about how he feels about something. Yeah, we're going to stick with the topic uh, for the entire show today. And coming up next, we'll talk about Max Pacioretty saying that Pete DeBoer got the best out of him. We'll return with more right after this. You are listening and watching Locked On Vegas Golden Knights. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your sports betting needs. Find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, for lines, and games. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, of course, the National Hockey League, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have it all covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action that is happening today. A lot of it, and of course, the NFL preseason kicks off on Thursday night. If you don't want to miss it, go to Bet Online, where the game starts. Welcome back, Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick from Las Vegas. And thanks so much for making us your first listen each and every day. Our podcast and, of course, our YouTube feed is free and available. And uh, wherever you could find us, please do chime in, subscribe. Uh, your comments are terrific, actually about uh, everything going on in VGK land. Let's continue with this uh, Max Pacioretty appearance on the Raw Knuckles podcast. We found it very interesting. And uh, again, Pacioretty, more or less defending Pete DeBoer, called him the best coach that he's had in terms of getting the best out of him. He said that DeBoer looked at uh, the score sheet. And uh, again, if he saw that Pacioretty had too many hits in a game, which I found interesting, he said, no, your job is to score goals. And he said that DeBoer is a very good coach. He said, systematically, you knew where you need to be in all areas of the ice. 
He said VGK's defensive zone uh, structure was flawless. He said VGK's defensive D zone uh, structure was flawless. And he said for the players, there was no confusion. I saw something different on the ice. <laughs> Personally, I saw the same system night in and night out with no changes. Does Walsh represent Pete DeBoer? That's, that's honestly, that's an honest question. Like, I, I mean that partially joking, but does, does Walsh represent any coaches? Because I would be curious if there was uh, some tie there. Um, I don't know if coaches even have agents. I'm just guessing when I say that there. So, all right, so let, let, let's take a couple of approaches here. One, I don't understand how you get the comment about accountability and you say Pete DeBoer is the best coach you've ever that he's gotten the he's gotten the most out of. He didn't say he was the best coach. He said he got the most out of Pacioretty. I can't compute that in my head. Just it doesn't it, it doesn't line up with me. I understand the systematic comments. I understand the defensive things and where the players need to be. I'll buy that all day. But when you talk about a lack of accountability, I mean, who's the voice of the team? The voice of the team is the coach. The voice of the team is the coach. Yes, you have your, you know, at the time you had your flurry and then you got marches. So now and stuff like that, and maybe soon to be Riley Smith, actually, um, after watching him at the softball game, kind of went over uh, the hearts of uh, all the, the Vegas locals and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the coach is the one that talks to the media first, talks to the media last, and you get the most locker material from the coach for people like us to talk about the next day. Um, I don't know. Let's go back to about getting the most out of Pacioretty. So I got his hockey DB up here looking at his stat lines. In 18-19, Pacioretty gets to Vegas. He's got four full seasons here. One season is short for COVID. One last season is short because of injuries. During his time here, he eclipsed 60, 60 points one time. That was 1920. So that would have been a full year under... No, that would have been half and half, right? 1920 would have been half Gallant, half DeBoer with the, right. him firing and then the COVID stoppage and all that. But still, 60 points was eclipsed. Only you know half of that you can attribute, I guess, less than half of that you can attribute to half of his time with Pete DeBoer. 2021, this is going to be the shortened season. Uh, 48 games played, 24 goals. So we can we can safely say he was on on track for a much higher season. And then same thing uh, last season, uh, he was on on track for probably close to 40 goals as well. So, I mean, I guess when you prorate his points over the last couple of seasons, I can maybe buy it a little bit more now that I take a deeper dive into it. But looking back at his time in Montreal, 14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17, those were all 60-point seasons, as well as 13, 14 was exactly 60 points. So maybe Pacioretty is taking the perspective of, you know, he's getting a bit older, so maybe his body isn't necessarily um, as tough and physical as it was. And he actually made a lot of fun comments about um, situational plays and, you know, what you should and shouldn't do, referencing the Chara situation. So maybe he's, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit older now. I can't keep up as well. I don't have as much skill as these young guys. So maybe I will buy the comments a little bit more looking at how his stats were. But I don't think his stat lines were that bad from basically 2013 to 2017, having 60 point seasons. So I don't know. It's hard for me to line up that Pacioretty has all this love and admiration for DeBoer, but then he comes back and talks about accountability. Accountability starts with the coach, no one else. Yes, other people in the locker room. Yes, you will hold yourself to a higher standard. 
But when there is a coach, the coach, that's the coach's job. Like that literally is the coach's, in my opinion, one of the top two or three things the coach needs to do and it's accountability. And then you take his, you know, take things deeper to having an identity and a team character and, you know, creativity and stuff like that. Again, all points that uh, many VGK players said that simply didn't happen, unfortunately. So it's, it's very interesting. Pacioretty's motivation for uh, this interview and some of the comments he made and looking back at his career and looking back at his interviews with the Vegas media before he left town, uh, particularly when there was about 60 games left, when he did come out and make the comments about um, he has to hold himself to a higher standard and, you know, do better his, like when, when he made the comment, he has to elevate his personal game around game 60 or 65. I thought it was kind of selfish but I think now I see the full context, at least to that comments. Yeah, now now we can see uh, a good point. We can see a, a little bit more of what uh, his motivation might have been at that point. And uh, you didn't address Bill Foley, though. Um, oh. I wanted to talk about Foley. Yeah. And does he just dismiss these comments? Because in addition to tuning in to Lockdown Golden Knights every day, you know that he listened to this uh, podcast with Max Pacioretty on it. Uh, but does he dismiss these comments of lack of accountability, uh, perhaps thinking the same thing along those lines. It could have been agent-motivated, or maybe perhaps he is a DeBoer loyalist, or uh, or now the, do the receipts continue to add up on the case against Kelly McCrimmon? Um, I still think that Foley is sold on whatever McCrimmon is offering for the present and future of the franchise and i listen i don't enjoy the way mccrimmon talks to the media and stuff like that and i think he's kind of strange and i get why he's hard to trust but i'm still going to bed with the fact that vgk had four really good seasons under him and season five was bad luck so i'm simply offering the benefit of the doubt for one more season. If season six flutters, folks, then we can go back to uh, my comments tonight and last week when I challenged all you on social media to tell me why uh, DeBoer or why uh, uh, why McCrimmon is not doing well. Then you all can, you know, you can put me in the dunk tank and uh, five bucks a ball and we'll donate the money to uh, a charity or something like that. But otherwise, I'm still going to go to bed with my comments that uh, that McCrimmon has done a decent job to set this team up for success. Um where does Foley sit in all of this and how does he feel when he listens to something like what Pacioretty is saying? I think that really fuels more um, Bill Foley, the comment he did make about being more involved with things. I think this is reason for him to say, wow, I really got to pay attention, pay better attention to my investment, so to speak, because if the coach is not holding the team to the proper standards, if there's not the right accountability, if there is not the right urgency, maybe is even a better word to use right now. When the Flyers come in and blow VGK out on the in the midst of a 10 or 8 or 15, whatever the losing streak was. Oh, like, oh and 10. Oh, and 10. There you go. Oh, and 10. You know, those two points right there. If we have those two points, we're probably in the playoffs because we're in a different spot. Like, that's how close it is. So I think Foley is going to listen to a podcast like this and say, okay, if things aren't going well, I need to have a more, you know, real conversation with my, it goes downhill, right? Owner, president, GM, coach. So Foley will address, you know, 
McPhee. McPhee will talk to McCrimmon. McCrimmon will talk to the coach. And maybe Foley gets to the point where he starts skipping steps and says, hey, what's going on here? Why, you know, what's what's preventing this team from winning right now? And maybe maybe Foley sits in the exit interviews next year alongside of McCrimmon and to really hear what the players want to say. Um, but Foley also comes across as he is he's approachable. He's always at City National talking to the players. Um, I think McPhee made the comment, you call him Bill. He's always there in blue jeans and stuff like that and just trying to, you know, be approachable and just easy to talk to and things like that. But, you know, maybe this is the season where uh, where Mr. Foley, you know, walks around City National with uh, a suit a little more often or at least maybe a pair of dress slacks and a, and, uh, and a dress shirt, maybe just trying to uh, quietly change the culture a little bit to a little more business, to a little more um, a little more professionalism. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I do think Foley is taking all of this, and I think the signs were there if you look at Pacioretty's comments, if you listen to the exit interviews that the players offered. And this wasn't a problem at Game 75. This wasn't a problem at Game 60. This was a problem right around January 15th of 2019. I think I'm pretty close on that date there, folks. I think I'm pretty close. This was a problem, I think, when they removed Gallant from his duties and and came in with DeBoer. I think a lot of this points to DeBoer not motivating the team enough. And I think if Foley maybe would have paid a little more attention to things, then I think he would have been able to maybe address it sooner to maybe try to get uh, DeBoer change his tactics a little bit. Yeah, and uh, we did hear an awful lot uh, about at the end of the season about perhaps a lack of accountability uh, within this team and uh, a lot of friction we felt uh, within the locker room. And Pacioretty, though, was so transparent, I felt, uh, in a lot of the comments that he made. And now, of course, uh, now he's gone. He left the franchise. He even talked about Carolina being a great place to retire. He goes, look at all yes. the players yes. retired here. It's just a great place. And I totally started to. Uh, it's also a contract year, Tony. It's also a contract year. Let's, let's, let's put that out there, too, for Pacioretty. All right. Coming up next, we'll talk more about this podcast, more about accountability for myself and for Chris and for Max Pacioretty and for the VGK moving forward. More after this, you are listening and watching Locked On Golden Knights. Welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights. Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick from Las Vegas. Chris uh, with bitter coffee face. It's cold. It's cold, Tony. I need a microwave in my office. I mean, we need more people to watch so I can buy a microwave here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll start the GoFundMe for the microwave for your office. Uh, your so egg works Max, too, folks. Yeah, Max Pacioretty, uh, again, said no one held this team accountable. He said if you had a bad year like BGK did, the city would be half on fire in Montreal. And here we are showing up at the rink. It's 80 degrees and sunny. We're getting our car washed and our organic food inside joke there. I don't know. Uh, it said that, you know, you got to police this much better amongst your teammates. And he said he didn't want to say it's uh, it's a country club of sorts, but you have no one from the outside holding you accountable. And from the outside to the fans, are the fans still on this uh, sort of high from season one around the VGK? 
I, I definitely think the fans are on a high from season one. And I mean, first of all, let, let's talk about Vegas, right? If you're here five years, it's like you're born and raised. Like if you're here five years, it's literally like you're born and raised here because this is a very uh, transient city. People come and go all the time. Um, I've been out here since 2008 now. So that's all I can remember in life. And it's been a, it's been a blur since we've been here. We talk about how fast everything moves in this city. Um, but point being, sure, we're not Montreal, folks. We are not Chicago. We're not uh, New York. We're not Detroit. You know, we are not these original six cities that have this rich history. What we also aren't, though, folks, we're not Toronto, who can't get out of the first round of the playoffs either. So, you know, as all you fans out there want to, you know, throw daggers at the front office all the time, take a step back and look at Toronto and Edmonton and some other cities that have had these very notable struggles with some good rosters. Um, going back to the comments about, I just had to throw that in there. Uh, going back to Patch Reddy's comments about the car getting washed and the organic food and the There's no organic food. There's none in my neighborhood. Okay. Let's just point that out right now. That is uh, Summerlin bougie. I, I saw some advance the Albertsons the other day. I couldn't even tell you. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to upset anybody. So let's just uh, go forward from there. Um, we'll, 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 we'll do a segment on organic food, uh, maybe uh, around August uh, 26th if we're looking for contents. Um, but I, I get what Patch already is saying. It's different here in Montreal. Maybe if things are going bad, you know, you probably can't show your face. That's the type of pressure you get. Vegas. Yeah. We are still on a high from season one and that's okay, folks. That's okay. It's good to be happy about season one. It's good to be happy about seasons three and four as well. Almost getting to the Stanley cup, not necessarily the way season four ended against Montreal, which Patrick Ray did talk about as well to the point where it almost drove him to tears and being stuck on the bus for a half hour after the game and all that. I thought that was super interesting, but then he, you know, digested it a little bit and he was actually kind of happy for some of his former teammates in the city and all of that. Um, but Montreal is not Vegas as far as hockey is concerned. We're not Detroit. We're not Titletown. So the pressure is going to be different here. And it doesn't matter what the situation is with VGK. If someone sees a Vegas Golden Knight walking around Summerlin or around T-Mobile or, you know, whatever it may be, they're going to stop and want to take a picture and get their FaceTime with that person. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Um, if pa- someone like Patch Ready needs that motivation of the fans being upset to play better, fine, so be it. I'm I'm not going to hold that against him uh, by any means. And I think every city, they wash your cars for you and stuff like that while you're at practice. I noticed um, in Chicago at the United Center in, during the cold weather times, they have like one of those deep tunnels that takes takes the players in and stuff like that where all the cars go. I notice after the game when we walk out, you look down there, sometimes you get a glimpse of the players coming out, but all the cars are on and warming up because obviously it's 12 degrees outside. We're, you know, six miles from Lake Michigan with a 20 mile an hour wind blowing off uh blowing off the lake. So it's it's cold. It's cold. So they turn the cars on for you. That's what they do. They take care of you. So, you know, is Patch Ready maybe taking it a little bit too far with those comments? Fine, but I get it. I get it. Uh, he said he never thought in a million years that he would be feeling this way. He said it's something real interesting stood out, though, too. He said a lot of those guys hadn't played somewhere else, so they don't know what it is like. Pretty Everybody's played comment. somewhere else. But, they, yeah, they pretty much all have now, by now. Outside of what White Cloud and Key and Coles are and, and uh, Nick Haig, I think everyone else has played somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> But by the time they got to Vegas, I think they did become spoiled. And again, the culture changed. And if there is like you with your children, if there's no accountability for them, what do they do? They run them up. 
And so they're running amok now, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but that, but that's what could happen with this VGK franchise. And uh, it's a, it's a little bit concerning. There are some red flags, but by no means fans, do you boo Max Pacioretty when he returns to T-Mobile? Oh, that was the worst tweet imaginable there. Yeah, and just the fans like took a lot of the, the, the comments like about Montreal would burn down if, if things weren't going well, but Vegas, it's different. So what? Vegas is different. Like, And a lot of fans are taking that negative. You just go on any random uh, VGK Facebook group, and they are blasting off on Patrick. And part of that also, there's a lot of clickbait out there, folks, where people are taking one little sentence and saying, Patrick, blast the fan base. I don't understand that. Patrick did not blast the fan base one time during that interview. You want to tell me he blasted off on DeBoer? You want to tell me there was some comments about the about the um, about the the Vegas media? He, you know, that was interesting. I mean, I know Sinbin and Jesse Granger with the Athletic are pretty notable. I think we're growing a little bit here. I think uh, you know, there's, so there's there is media out here. I don't think you got to look too hard to see what the people are saying about you. I found that interesting. I know we're we're getting short on time, but Patrick quoted himself saying he had to look to find what people what the people are saying about him you know I, I guess we know it's not just logan thompson sweating us it's easy to do a twitter search come on just look up your name uh and he said that he missed the accountability himself a tiny bit when things went wrong this past season and there's a lot of finger pointing right now because we can do a part two on make, friday to this <laughs> they didn't make the playoffs so of course there's going to be some sort of uh, finger pointing Uh, Things were in disarray at the end of the season. Uh, Doesn't mention anything about injuries and LTIR, uh, but again, a lack of accountability. Team came up short. That's all I said. Team came up short. Yeah. We're going to have to keep our eyes on this one, though, because it's pretty interesting and definitely worth talking about. And it was uh, a real interesting uh, listen. And if you have time, it's the Raw Knuckles podcast. Uh, Chris, you have a great day. Don't forget, fans, that uh, we are on now. Uh, We're on in the morning. Sometimes we're off, but we are on mostly. Uh, and that's Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, and Fridays now. Um, we appreciate everyone for making us your first listen each and every day. For my man, Chris Golick, I'm Tony Cardasco. We'll see you again on Friday right here on Locked On Golden Knights.